Hello, hello. Welcome into another story about the Peters family. If you're one of our regular listeners, you know that we include a line from a hymn or a hymn title within the story. If you recognize it, send your answer to whimsywins at gmail.com. And if yours is the first correct answer we receive, we will send you a prize. Last week, our winner was Nolly from Concord, California, with her correct answer of Search Me, O God, from the story Penelope's Passion. Way to go, Nolly! Now it's time for this week's story, The Peters Family Heroics. Constance was standing behind the giant elm tree, heart pounding inside of her chest. She just knew she was hot on the trail of the missing dog. She could hear his distant but distinct barks, and she could tell he needed her help. She could tell by his intermittent whining that he was being held captive. She strained hard to hear more, deciphering as she processed. Could he be hurt? She sure hoped not. She hoped that the thieves hadn't had enough time to execute their horrific plans. Was it only just yesterday that she had discovered that the ring of thieves was using the dogs for their coats? It felt like it had been going on for months. But when the thieves came a little too close to home, having nabbed her neighbor Kristen's dog right from out of her backyard, Constance knew it was time to jump into action. Initially, the clues seemed few and far between. The broken leash, a large boot print, a discarded cigarette butt. But as Constance persisted, she uncovered eyewitness testimony, and eventually, she was able to find the rundown shanty on the outside of town. She spied the dented blue card that had been described to her right down to the sagging front bumper, and she knew immediately that this mystery was about to be solved. But she shivered, ooh, whether from fear or cold, she didn't know. The night wasn't too chilly, but she was concerned, plus she didn't want to be found out. She knew that the Ring of Thieves was more than just one person who drove the blue car. On the basis of her sleuth work, she figured that it was made up of three people. There were two cars involved, the dented blue car and a beat-up white classic car. But that car wasn't in the driveway, and she feared it would pull up and she would be caught in the headlights loitering behind the tree. After dialing 911 for assistance, Constant was determined to wait, standing guard. The 911 operator informed her that a police cruiser was en route, but that because of her location, it would take about six more minutes for it to arrive. Constance, having built a solid relationship with the local police, knew that she could trust that time frame. But boy, did those minutes drag, and Constance prayed that she would not be caught by anyone. Her hands started sweating as the minutes ticked by. She glanced over her shoulder, this way and that, except for the sounds of the barking dog. <coughs> All was relatively quiet. It was somewhat eerie. She stood frozen to her spot, still staring at the ramshackle house, squinting hard to see if she could see anything. Suddenly, she heard a rumbling in the distance. Listening intently, she could hear an engine and the gravel beneath its tires as a car drove distinctly toward the house. Constant recognized that it was a police cruiser. She breathed a sigh of relief, but she had a nagging doubt that if it was the other car, the culprit's car, she wouldn't know what to do. Behind the elm tree was hardly a hiding place, given that she hadn't changed out of her bright orange shirt and red hat. And though the tree was many years old, it had a slim profile, and Constance was not convinced she could hide behind it. But with no more time to think, and as the headlights of the approaching vehicle came into sight, 
Constance's heart began thumping. Was it a police car? Were there lights on top of the car? She couldn't quite make it out, but she stood on the spot, motionless. Who was in that car? As the music came on, closing out the episode, Penelope nearly fell off the couch. Pearson threw a pillow across the room and yelled, Oh no, what in the world happened to Constance? Mama Peters came running in from the kitchen at Pearson's yelling, Pearson, what are you yelling about? You're going to wake the twins. Oh, sorry, Mama Peters, but I couldn't help it. Constance might die, but we don't know, because part two is coming next week. I don't know if I can wait a whole week to find out if Constance is a dead hero. Oh, Pearson, you scared me. But I, I get it. I remember feeling the same way when I read books from the Nanny Draw series. They were so suspenseful, and they would give me the shivers. Mama Peters, it's true. I don't know how Constance always gets in these predicaments, but she just does. Penelope chimed in. Well, Pen, I just love that you used a vocabulary word for this week. Now, speaking of predicaments, you all are going to be in a big predicament if you don't clean up this living room. Right away, Pearson bent down and picked up the two throw pillows from the floor. Mama Peters, are there real-life heroes? Well, of course there are. But it likely depends on your definition of a hero, Pearson. Well, to me, I, I think it's someone who saves people. I agree with your assessment, Pearson. I would consider that to be a heroic person as well. Additionally, a hero doesn't think about his or her welfare, but always thinks about what has to be done to save others. So who are heroes then, Mama Peters? Pearson persisted as he piled up the newspaper into a nice neat stack. Well, I think this might be a good discussion to have when Daddy Peters gets home, Pierce. What others consider heroes might not be what we consider heroes. I would imagine that there are situations every day in which someone could become a hero. I don't think I've ever had the opportunity to be a hero, but I would hope that if the time comes, I would act valiantly. Oh, I hope so too. I can't imagine having to save someone's life. Penelope's earnestness was noticeable. I don't know what I would do either. But you know, it doesn't necessarily mean putting your life in peril for a person. It could also be putting your life in peril for the sake of a worthy cause. For instance, you know, Stephen in the Bible was the first martyr. He was killed for his belief in Jesus as the only way, and he was a hero. He put his life on the line for the cause of Christ. That's a heroic act. And I suppose that even putting your life in danger to save someone spiritually makes heroes. We know that only Jesus can save, but if someone is standing for the gospel and in danger of losing their life or freedom, then that person is a hero because they did it that it might save others spiritually. Does that make sense? A look of understanding crossed Pearson's face. Yes, Mama Peters, it does. The Amazings are mostly heroes because they're always saving the world in the nick of time. And Constance is a hero because she does the same thing, but it's not the world she saves. Usually it's a person or a dog or something. But I kind of think it would be harder to be a faith hero, you know? I do know what you mean, Piers. For example, you might see a person falling off a building, and you know you'd have to jump to grab that person's feet. Or maybe you would see someone about to be hit by a car, and you would jump in front of them or push them out of the way really fast. Those type of heroes don't have to think before they act. They're thinking, but it's very quick, and their instincts kick in. Their adrenaline is usually pumping, and they can find that they can do things with greater speed and strength than previously thought possible. So in some ways, it's easier to be a spur-of-the-moment hero. With adrenaline on your side, you can beat many odds. 
But a faith hero, it, it, it's just different. There's usually no imminent danger, and it would be very easy to get out of danger. Usually, a faith hero needs only to recant his or her faith to avoid death. In other words, they would have to think about whether or not they would deny Jesus or say they don't believe in him. Can you think of any of those type of heroes? Rahab! Penelope shouted. Yep, that's a fine example. She hid the spies for the Lord's people. How about Daniel? Pearson asked. Exactly! He utterly refused to give up worshiping God even though he was commanded to do that. You see, both of them could have easily gotten out of trouble. All they had to do was obey the authorities of that time. Rahab could have listened to the authorities in the land of Canaan, in Jericho, who forbade the people from fraternizing with the enemy. To them, the Jews were the enemy. Daniel could have chosen to listen to the Persian officials, who had ordered that they could not publicly worship any gods but the king. They could have simply chosen to obey. Daniel might have even chosen a private place to worship God, and he may never have been caught. It is always better, as Acts 5.29 says, to obey God rather than man. And so Daniel chose obedience to the Lord. Both Daniel and Rahab are considered heroes of the faith. They took no thought of their own safety. Daniel was condemned to death, but God spared him. They were both determined that they would obey God no matter what the cost. That's a faith hero. It's not something that's done in a flash with adrenaline. Over time, you grow strong in your faith, and you see that there is nothing more important than the gospel. So when the time comes to stand for the gospel, you don't need adrenaline. The Holy Spirit is stronger than any adrenaline rush. In fact, the Bible tells us not to worry about what we are to say in the moments of testing, but that the Holy Spirit will give us the exact words to say. Isn't that great? Whoa, Mama Peters, I sure hope I'll be bold enough to, to stand up for my faith if, if, if the time ever comes, Penelope said haltingly. We all do, Pen. Remember your Awana verses. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. I know, Mama Peters. It's found in Romans 1.16. A moment later, the front door opened and Daddy Peters breezed in. After greetings and hugs all around, he shared his sledding idea with Mama Peters. The snow outside was fresh, so we wanted to go to Evergreen Heights Park to sled down the hill with the two older kids. Mama Peters agreed that it was a good idea and promised that Hot Soup and Happy Twins would be awaiting their return. The hill at Evergreen Heights was a popular one, and with the fresh snowfall, there were lots of after-school thrill-seekers. Oh boy, this is a lot of people. But thankfully this hill is massive, so let's go to the other end where there's more elevation anyway. It looks less occupied. Daddy Peter started walking through the snow, a red sled behind him. Pearson next in line, followed with a super-fast tube, and an empty-handed Penelope brought up the rear. As they traipsed to the farthest end of the hill, to their pleasant surprise, they recognized some people from church who were also trudging along to the other side of the hill. Although the Peters family didn't know them well, they did know that, like their family, they had a set of twins, 15-year-old sons Clint and Chadwick. Daddy Peters stopped to chat with the twins' dad, Mr. Hardcastle, and the boys began making small talk with Pearson and Penelope. They explained that their mom was at the lodge reading by the fire and that they had been snowboarding for an hour or so, but had plans to end the day sledding. Walking together, they reached the far end of the hill and discovered that Daddy Peters was right. Because it was a greater distance from the parking lot, there were far fewer people. In fact, the only others within close proximity was another dad with two young kids who were gleefully sledding down the hill. Penelope couldn't help but notice the scenic view from the top. 
She could see Evergreen Elementary in the distance, surrounded by snow-covered cedars. The baseball field down below, where Pearson had played many a game, was blanketed in soft snow. The frozen pond to the left of the bottom of the hill glistened in the waning daylight. As the afternoon wore on, Pearson and Penelope were having the time of their lives. Run after run, they flew down the hill. Sometimes they rode single rider, sometimes with Daddy Peters, and sometimes just the two of them. No matter the combination of riders, they didn't grow tired of riding, though Daddy Peters appeared to be losing interest as sweat poured off his brow. He had stripped his outer snow clothes off and sat down on the camping chair he had brought. Mr. Hardcastle, too, was fatigued, so he sat chatting with Daddy Peters. Clint and Chadwick continued sledding with Pearson and Penelope. The other party, the two kids and their dad, also took their turn whipping down the hill. The little boy looked to be about five, and his sister looked about four. A few times they, Pearson, Penelope, Chadwick, and Clint, helped the two little ones pull their sled up the hill. Pearson chuckled to himself when he watched the little girl struggle with the sled, which to him was really light. He wasn't laughing at her, but was reminded of his twin sisters at home. The Pearson and Penelope, pulling their sleds up the hill was an effortless endeavor. Despite a reputation of self-centeredness that often follows teenagers, Chadwick and Clint were extremely polite and generous in helping everyone to sled safely and getting equal time. They waited patiently for their turn and helped to smooth any part of the run that had endured too many boot stompings. At long last, the day was coming to a close, and Daddy Peters yelled out, Pearson! Penelope! Make this your last run! It's time to go! We've got to get home to Mama Peters and the girls. Pearson looked up and gave Daddy Peters the thumbs-up sign. He and Penelope were next in line as Clint and Chadwick rapidly sledded down the hill. As Pearson pushed off with Penelope in the front of the sled, he noticed that the run had gained a lot of speed as the slushy snow had begun to harden into ice with the fast-plummeting evening temperatures. It was the fastest run of the day as they charged down the hill on their sled. Both Penelope and Pearson were delighted. They had barely reached the bottom of the hill when they looked up and saw the two kids sledding down. The sled picked up speed, and they were careening. It was hard to tell from their shrieks if they were having fun or if they were petrified. Chadwick and Clint had turned and stood watching from the bottom of the hill and began to yell out words of encouragement. Pearson and Penelope hopped off their sled and did the same, watching as the younger kids' sled hurtled recklessly down the hill. By that point, there was no mistaking the terror in the kids' screams. Their dad, who was at the top of the hill, didn't move. He seemed paralyzed by fear. Penelope frantically yelled out, They're heading for the tree! Chadwick and Clint seemed to simultaneously understand the gravity of the situation and, along with Pearson, began to desperately yell for the kids to roll off their sled before it plunged down the hill. Penelope shrieked, Roll off! But it was to no avail. The sled, with the kids aboard, hit the tree. The kids landed in the snow, and the sled went whizzing through the air, landing at the bottom of the hill. Without hesitation, the Peters and the Hardcastles raced to the tree. Daddy Peters didn't seem to consider that he still didn't have on layers of snow clothes, but in his quest to get to the children, he was immune from the chilly temperatures. The little boy had been knocked out, but he was coming too as he was surrounded by the concerned onlookers. He looked a little foggy, and the girl looked to have broken her wrist, and she was screaming in pain. They all stripped off their outer wear and wrapped the children up to keep them warm. Clint took off running for the lodge to get medical attention. After sizing up the situation, Daddy Peters picked up the little girl gingerly. Fortunately, the little boy appeared to be fine except for being scared. Their dad, who had finally comprehended what had happened, rushed down the hill. However, he still looked shell-shocked and was unsteady on his feet. 
So Chadwick scooped up the little boy and gently carried him down the hill. The slope was exceedingly slippery and slushy, so the group was extra careful as they made their way down. Once they reached the lodge, the medical personnel took over. They all stood by the fire trying to warm up. Daddy Peters was by far the coldest since he had been without his warm snow clothes and only had on a thin coat. He was shivering, but hot coffee from his thermos helped to warm him. After a long while, the group, surrounded by other hilltop adventurers who had descended on the lodge after hearing about the accident, were sitting in the warmth of blankets and quaffing hot cocoa that the ski lodge had provided. The adrenaline of the previous frightening moments had begun to wane, and everyone began to exchange the details of their differing vantage points of what had just happened only moments before. Pearson was shaken and could hardly speak. He sat thinking about all the what-ifs. What if the accident had been worse? What if they weren't there to help out quickly? What if it had been too dark to rescue the kids from the hill since their dad seemed so traumatized? His mind quieted down as he thought of Job 42.42. I know that you can do all things and no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Peace overwhelmed him. God had planned the event perfectly. He had planned for Pearson and Penelope to see the whole thing and act immediately. He had caused it all, and there were no what-ifs. There was no alternate possibility that could ever have been. There was only what God had planned. As Pearson pondered, the children's dad walked over and hugged Daddy Peters and Pearson tightly. Thank you so much. I don't know what happened, but I think I was in shock. If you guys weren't there, I don't know what would have happened. Thanks to all of you. I can never, ever repay you. I'm more thankful than you'll ever know. We're on our way to the hospital in a few minutes. My daughter is sedated, but thankfully the medic thinks my kids will be okay, thanks to your quick action. Pearson, still somewhat in shock, responded, We were only where God had us be, and he alone helped us to help them. The dad looked a little bit confused, but he nodded sweetly. Pearson could tell he didn't grasp anything that he had just said. Daddy Peters took a minute or two to explain that no one in their party could have done anything that day outside of God's perfect plan. Pearson and Penelope and the teenagers had been in the right place at the right time because of God. Daddy Peters was able to briefly share the gospel with the crowd after the kids and their dad had left for the hospital. Shortly thereafter, the crowd dispersed and the Peters gathered their things. After saying goodbye to Chadwick and Clint and Mr. Hardcastle, Daddy Peters, Pearson, and Penelope started for home. The sound of ice crunching beneath their feet was the only thing they heard until Daddy Peters opened his phone to turn on some Christian music. Day by day began to play, and Daddy Peters began to softly sing along. Day by day, and with each passing moment, strength I find to meet my trials here. Boy, oh boy, was that ever an appropriate song for that day. When they arrived home, Mama Peters greeted them with a big ol' hug and kiss. How was your day? Did everyone have fun? She inquired. That day, Pearson and Penelope knew what Mama Peters had been talking about in the morning. Heroes were those who simply acted on instinct to do what is right, putting themselves in harm's way for the sake of others. And heroes of the faith, like Daniel and Rahab and even Daddy Peters, who spoke openly of his faith in Christ, were putting their reputation in harm's way for the sake of the gospel. People might look at their faith in Christ and think of them as crazy or ignorant, but none of that mattered. Risking life, limb, or reputation for the sake of others, or for the sake of the glorious gospel of Christ, is always heroic. This is Grandmom's Corner. As I've mentioned many times before, 
Most of the stories on Whimsy Wins are based on true life stories. This week's story is loosely based on a real life family story which happened decades ago. When our family was a family of five kids, we ended up having 10, my husband took them on a church Father's Day weekend camping trip. It was a lot of fun for all of them, but there was one mishap that could have resulted in a devastating outcome. While most of the children were swimming in the lake, my husband sat on the shore with other men from the church and our younger son. One of our sons who was swimming spotted a group of older kids who had swum out to a log on which they were floating. My son was a weaker swimmer and his energy was sapped by the time he reached the log. He was so tired that he fell off the log. Remember what Pearson told the dad of the little kids who had had an accident after he thanked them profusely for their help? Pearson said, we were only where God had us be. That's something like my daughter wrote this week in a text after I asked her to refresh my memory about what had happened. She wrote, He was on a log with older kids who floated out, and he fell off, and I could see that he went underwater. Only God helped me to swim and get him. I remember pushing him up and out of the water over and over as I swam to shore. Then Uncle Kevin noticed and came out. My son said, and these are his exact words about my daughter, She likely saved my life. You notice that my daughter said, Only God helped me. Nothing in our lives is happenstance, or coincidence, or luck. In fact, with Christians, there's no such thing as luck. If you shot the winning goal in a basketball game, or if, like my granddaughter, who just before a piano recital couldn't remember her music, but it all came back to her when it was her time to play in the recital, none of that was due to luck. It was because of the strength and accuracy God gave you to make that shot, or because the Lord caused my granddaughter to remember the music. Nothing happens by chance. God is in complete control of everything, even when it doesn't seem like it. Both the good and bad should draw us closer to God. Psalm 31:15 says it this way, My times are in your hand. God is involved in every detail of our lives. Proverbs 16:9 says, The mind of God plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. My son didn't plan to lose his footing and fall off the log that day. But God wasn't surprised. He plans our lives. And thankfully that day, he planned that my daughter would see my son and enabled her to bring him back to safety. The Lord willing, we'll be here next week with a new story. Bye for now.